0: It's going down, and you're invited for what they're selling. We
1: ain't buying. There is no running, there is no hiding. There's only fighting or dying. It's going down, and you're invited
0: for what they're selling. We ain't buying. There is no running, there is no hiding. There's only fighting or dying.
1: It's Going Down is a digital community center from anarchist, anti-fascist, autonomous, anti-capitalist, and anti-colonial movements. Our mission is to provide an autonomous and resilient platform to publicize and promote revolutionary theory and action. Go to it'sgoingdown.org for daily updates. Check out our online store for ways to donate and rate and follow us on iTunes if you like this podcast.
0: i'm steven monticelli i'm an investigative journalist in dallas uh where i primarily focus on extremism disinformation and uh corruption um and you can see my work in places like uh rolling stone the daily beast uh the real news dallas weekly and and more um as well as uh places like the texas observer where i just had a piece about the resurgence of the john birch society and um I'm also a uh, a publisher of an independent leftist literary magazine uh, called Protean Magazine, um, which you can uh, find both me and that on Twitter and the internet.
1: Great, and we'll have links for all that in the show notes for this podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. As we were talking about before we started recording a couple months ago, we were lucky enough to have another journalist from Texas on, Kit O'Connell. Talking about the situation there, this was before uh Roe was overturned, but after this wave of attacks on abortion access, and especially targeting of trans youth, and just to kind of set us up, maybe just catch us up since then, Like, what do you see as the general context going on in Texas and the stuff that you're covering, if you were just kind of to give us a sort of introduction to the lay of the land there? So, um,
0: Texas is, uh, one of over a dozen states that has passed, uh, what is called a trigger law, which has banned abortion access across the state, uh, without exception. And that is sort of a representation of where Texas is politically right now, which I would describe as, um, sort of on the bleeding edge of an, an increasingly Uh, hardline conservative coalition of states that are seeking to use their states' rights to basically wind back federally protected rights for women, minorities, uh, you know, basically any sort of group that may be uh, at risk, like, you know, the LGBTQ community. Uh, and where I'm based here in Dallas, we have seen um, an unsettling spate of anti-LGBTQ mobilization from extremist groups, uh, you know, Christian nationalists, openly fascistic people, even neo-Nazis. Uh, not all of them are those, but the coalition of people that are drawn to these events uh, can be quite disturbing and use rhetoric that is violent and uh just extreme uh it's the only word that i could use to describe it and we are also a place where our lawmakers and uh, the republican party are openly talking about you know reconsidering supreme court cases like um i'm gonna probably say this word wrong because it's not in front of me so i'm not gonna say it but the one that granted uh protection to gay marriage um you know, they they want to roll these things back. And so it is not an exaggeration to say that, um, you know, people's rights are under threat. And, and furthermore, we've got um, high ranking politicians who openly question the legitimacy of the 2020 election are um, wrapped up in sort of the QAnon movement in some cases. Uh, and we've even got the resurgence of the John Birch Society. Um, so you know, that's kind of the landscape that we're operating in right now. Um, uh, simultaneously, you know, we do have a lot of people who are mobilized in response to some really horrific things, um, and tragedies, um, like the re- revocation of abortion access in Texas, as well as the massacre in, uh, Uvalde. Um, and so, you know, the political landscape is shifting and I would say very wavy presently. Um, and the focus that I have as a journalist um, keeps me busy these days, to say the least.
1: Let me ask you about the Republican Party in Texas, because you mentioned how, you know, wavy it is, and especially with the Democrats kind of nipping at the heels of their numbers and support. How do you see this, like, very, very rightward shift in the Republican Party? I mean, because some people would say, like, isn't this something that threatens them? You know, why are we seeing this kind of, like, rush to the far right when it seems that it would make sense to try to, like, stay away from that, to try to, like, remain in the center? Well,
0: that's a great question. Um, I mean, we're dealing with a lot of things. Um, Historically, uh, uh, something that I've looked to that has helped me understand this is a book called Nut Country by Edward H. Miller which is about right-wing Dallas and the birth of the Southern strategy. Um, And it it talks a lot about sort of ultra-conservative movements in Texas, in particular in North Texas, and their ability to influence uh, conservative politics um, and get them to tack to the right on a number of issues, even if they ended up sort of being uh, sidelined to some extent or, um, you know, sort of... Attempted to be excommunicated by some like William F. Buckley, Um, you know, these sort of groups were able to deeply influence politics and sort of win the battle of ideas over time. Alex Jones called uh, Donald Trump the John Birch Society president and Alex Jones, you know, to at least give him credit on this. he, He probably knows a good bit about John Birch Society ideas traffics in them pretty regularly, or at least narratives that are quite similar. And so, you know, I think we're seeing a similar set of, I guess, you know, forces operating today emboldened by Donald Trump and, you know, the MAGA movement, broadly speaking, which has uh, emboldened and and wrapped itself with things like the QAnon movement and, uh, you know, sort of a constellation of of far-right groups that – Um, had been kind of beaten back to some extent by people like George H.W. Bush, um, but are now in a place where they're exerting control increasingly over local politics as well as, you know, you can just look at the Republican Party platform for the state GOP here. Um, and it's pretty extreme. It, it, the writing's on the wall. Um, whether that's going to be advantageous to them or not politically or why they're doing it, I'm, you know, I'm not a, a pollster nor a psychologist, so I'm not sure exactly. <laughs> but, um, I think, you know, that there is a tendency for the right. This is my personal opinion to kind of continue to have a more and more extreme position to offer. And, um, right now that's sort of what has the center of gravity in that party. And, you know, in in some cases in Texas, it maybe it makes sense because they've had single party rule here for like over 20 years. Um, And so maybe they think they can just get away with it. Just look at our attorney general, Ken Paxton, just, you know, like Google Ken Paxton indictment and you can make up your own mind.
1: Yeah, it seems to be a real reflection of the base, if anything.
0: Right. Well, there's there's prejudice. You know, there are places in Texas where the Civil War never ended. (laughs) You know, in the minds of some people, and uh, the removal of Confederate monuments has been a massive um, conflict over many years, and there are places that they still have plenty of them. Um, so in in one sense, it's a reflection of a certain activist base that is very influential in Texas. But you know, as someone who lives in Texas and is is very tired of and has lived in several other states, but it's tired of hearing people say things like, oh, just let Texas secede or whatever. There's also a very um, rich multicultural, you know, sort of mestizo culture in Texas that is inclusive and has a really rich history of things like labor organizing that is just kind of ignored and, and erased, really, frankly, um, in in, a, in the telling of Texas history. Um, and so, you know, we're at this point where I think people are reacting really strongly it's a reactionary backlash to a lot of social um progress that's been made and the sort of unearthing of of true history regarding things like the alamo and texas history broadly speaking and how cruel it was uh for quite some time to black people and indigenous people and anybody who wasn't basically a a white christian man and um you know there's there's a, a strong reaction to any sort of perceived threat historically. And so I think, you know, we can learn a lot about the current moment by understanding, you know, how the John Birch Society types reacted to the civil rights movement. The, the echoes are very strong. You know, they said, oh, this is just communist agitation back then. And we hear the same thing about the modern civil rights movements.
1: So before we start talking about some of the uh, far right groups on the ground, uh, how has the right reacted to the recent overturning of Roe v. Wade and also just this kind of ramping up of both rhetoric and, and legal attacks on LGBTQ people? You know, you mentioned the changing of the official Republican platform in Texas, which is, you know, one expression of that. But in general, kind of like, what are you seeing?
0: There's a really great article today uh, by Lauren McGahee. She's a – I hope I said that name right. She's an investigative journalist. The Dallas Morning News, um, and she outlined a number of lawsuits that are being brought forward by um, former Texas Solicitor General Jonathan Mitchell. Jonathan Mitchell created a law firm explicitly to generate – lawsuits that would dismantle court rulings that he believes depart from the U.S. Constitution. And so there's a slate of these lawsuits that are at various stages which could roll a number of things back in the state. They would question same-sex marriage uh, and bring that potentially bring that up to the Supreme Court, um, you know, things like um, religious exemptions for providing HIV prevention drugs. Uh, there's, you know, a, a very, very strong and emboldened movement to basically move the ball forward. You know, they just um, made a great play in their minds when it comes to Roe v. Wade, and they'd like to see more of that. And they're being pretty clear about what would be next. They're telegraphing that. So I don't think anybody should be confused or should um take too seriously the assurances that, oh no, we're not coming for that next. Um no indeed, I I, I think it's very clear that that, you know, they're coming for LGBT rights. Um they're coming for a lot of other things. Uh you know, Texas still has a sodomy law on the books, for example, and our attorney general has pledged that he would basically keep it there.
1: I'm curious, and just as one aside, in like Trumpian MAGA Texas politics, is there any sort of like veneer left of economic populism? Is that just sort of gone and all we are left with is just this naked Christian theocracy? Because that seems to be sort of like another. Uh, aspect of what we're seeing is just sort of that like jobs coming back is that's just kind of gone out the window and this is kind of like what's left is sort of like, you know, Hey, you know, send your neighbor to the gulag or something like that. you know.
0: Well, um, it's a selective populism. If it's anything like that, um, what I have talked to people about recently is there are, clear attacks on, you know, basically just interstate commerce um, or threats at the very least from the Republican Party regarding these social issues, you know, using it as a way to try to um, throw their weight around and force other states to comply or, you know, just basically do what they want. Um, and force consequences on others who refuse. And I think we should take that very seriously. And, um, yeah, to me, it signals that, you know, sort of the business friendly Republican, quote unquote, the, the one that's basically like, oh, hey, do you think taxes are bad? Well, hey, welcome to the Republican Party. Like, if those people ever existed, they're not in power anymore. Um, and they're not pretending to be uh some of them might still be using some of the same language but if you pay attention to their actions or um you know their sort of threats of what they might do next i think it's pretty clear that they're really just you know throwing any perception of that out the window and they're moving towards a you know very sort of naked Barbaric conservatism that says, you know, um, rules that protect us and benefit us, and then, you know, laws that bind you and, you know, take things away from you if you're not a part of the in group. It's just the classic in group, out group logic.
1: Well, let's talk now about the forces on the ground in terms of the far right. You know, you've covered a lot about this group of so called self described Christian fascists. Uh, on campus, and also how they intersect with street formations like the Proud Boys. What are some of the groups that you're seeing come out of the woodwork? We
0: have, as I mentioned, you know, the resurgence of really nakedly, just conspiratorially minded, ultra-conservative groups like the John Birch Society. But you know, they're, it's not like they're this big boogeyman or anything. Um, it's more of just a sign of the times. What we're also seeing are a lot of organizations that are, um, you know, popping up locally with similar talking points uh, around, you know, two years ago it was education stuff CRT that morphed into, you know, this child trafficking concern, which then has created this, you know, n- gross synthesis of claiming that they're trying to protect kids in schools from groomer teachers. But they're really just trying to impose a sort of rigid ideology on education. Um, the, the groups that we're seeing are, you know, it's, it's hard to generalize. There's, there's a lot of active people of a variety of different generations and ages. But, um, you know, more recently we've seen sort of an increasingly public presence of just extremist groups, Proud Boys, militias, um, you know, Patriot front is pretty active in North Texas. Their founder is from the town that is next to where I grew up. Um, so the, the landscape is that, you know, they're kind of coming out of the woodwork is what I would say. And so, you know, let's illustrate what this actually looks like over a period of time, uh, through a a sort of a case study. Um, there's a university called North Texas, uh, University of North Texas in Denton, which is not too far from Dallas. And <clears throat> pardon me, it is a fairly, you know, normal campus, although for Texas's standards, it has this reputation of being super liberal and progressive. And uh, it became the flashpoint of the sort of intersection of culture war issues over the past year. Because of a group of conservative students who had, you know, basically been kind of trained up through a broader statewide organization called Young Conservatives of Texas, which is a very far right group. And they started collaborating with and bringing to campus some very unsavory people. Um, I'm talking about people affiliated with the America First movement, um, affiliated with Nick Fuentes. Which people sometimes know as the Groipers or the Groiper Army, which is basically just a bunch of, you know, juvenile white nationalists, Christian nationalists, or fascists oh. of a number of varieties um, that have coalesced around this one guy, Nick Fuentes. Um, they're like we're Catholic about,
1: alt-right trolls.
0: Yeah, that's another way of putting it. They're they're Catholic, like you know, very hard right alt-right trolls who make You know, Nick Fuentes makes, you know, Nazi jokes casually as if it were, you know, funny or ironic. It's not. So, um, you know, at one of these um, events, one of the speakers was like, what's wrong with Christian fascism? Um, Later on, this guy shows up at a protest in Dallas outside of um, a drag event, um, a drag show in Dallas and says some extremely horrific stuff that I don't even really feel like quoting, uh, but basically just violence and wanting to take away people's rights. And so um, the you know one of the presidents of that um, student group graduated and has now um, started her own nonprofit, which is focused on. The same sort of stuff that the libs of TikTok account, which, if you're familiar with that, uh, focuses on sort of this, you know, groomer narrative, um, trying to associate LGBTQ people with, uh, pedophilia, basically, in an unwarranted and really just bigoted and disgusting way. And, um, this group has been responsible for organizing a number of protests, uh, outside of drag events, um, where open fascists or proud boys uh or nazis have shown up and this sort of is to say that you know the network of groups that are operating around here it's not that they all know each other or best friends or in the same slack chat or discord chat but they're increasingly rallying around a shared set of narratives that are becoming increasingly violent in its rhetoric um, and this is not just local. It's something that ping pongs, you know, back and forth between a local and a national level all over the country, but particularly so here in North Texas. Um, and, and I think that's in large part because we have a really, you know, I would call a critical mass of these activist types, um, funders who can help, you know, basically give them the time and money to do this. And um, right wing media organizations and personalities that help this stuff go viral to the point where it ends up on Fox News um, before anyone has been able to do significant reporting to sort of show exactly who is really responsible for these viral events that get turned into, you know, what I would just call like outrage bait um, for Tucker Carlson. Um, or for you know whomever from for whatever you know large right wing personality that's on Twitter.
1: Right. And we'll talk about that ecosystem in a second. you know one thing that I do want to mention you brought up uh, you know some of these like student groups, you know their rhetoric too is is increasingly like exterminationist or like we've got to round these people up. I mean yes. that's that to me that's one of the, the scariest aspects of the current, situation is that even though like if you look at, you know, your group of QAnon supporters here and you've got Patriot Front, you know, in the white nationalist camp and then the Groypers, which are edgy paleo conservatives essentially. But I mean, they all sort of agree in this end goal of, you know, we want massive state violence. We want to round people up. We want this sort of like coming cataclysmic event that includes, you know, state sanctioned bloodshed, which is very scary that they all share that kind of you know horizon and desire of of mass state violence and that that is sort of kind of the common thread that unites them even though their ideologies you know are very opposed at certain times and you know they all kind of have different conspiracy theories that they follow but they all share that kind of core desire to see that the state enact this mass violence
0: against certain communities i think that's right i mean you know i I hesitated to quote some of this stuff earlier, but I mean, now that you so eloquently framed that, I mean, yeah, we're talking about statements like, Oh, um, you should go in and crack heads like y'all did in the old days. And this is a Christian fascist talking to a police officer outside of a gay bar. Um, we're talking about, yeah, uh, the founder of this, you know, quote unquote nonprofit group, um, saying that LGBT people or people who attend Pride events should be rounded up. Um, it is violent. It is intolerant. It is deeply, deeply unsettling, and we have to take it seriously. Um, because people like this will often try to play it off as, oh, I was, you know, this is overstatement, or I was making a joke, uh, but this isn't stuff that you joke about.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, especially when there is like real world examples of this violence like being enacted. And there are people that very much not only are planning to do. I mean, literally just last weekend, we saw yet another mass shooting where the shooter posted on 4chan beforehand of themselves going in. And also their avatar photo was uh a Nazi officer being married. So, I mean, this is like, uh, you know, part and parcel to our society right now. But you mentioned sort of the way that this stuff goes viral and that it can evolve sort of from, you know, the nether regions of the internet and then end up on Fox News. I and mean, we've seen this for years now. I mean, Maybe one of the best examples is something like, you know, the quote unquote anti, anti civil war that like people like Alex Jones, you know, were promoting and it ended up on Fox. But take us through kind of how this stuff starts online and gets amplified by these gatekeepers. You know, you mentioned like libs of TikTok. I mean, we can think of other examples as well. And then sort of like things happen on the streets and then. What is the role of Fox and all that?
0: So uh, I had mentioned um, this nonprofit group that had been organizing these protests outside of drag shows and other events uh, during Pride Month this year. They're called Protect Texas Kids. Um, And so this ecosystem is just one case study of how it kind of operates what it starts with is that they post a call to action. They, you know, say protest against children in drag bars. Um, this in particular, um, was in Houston, Texas. Um, this group is pretty active in North Texas, but they decided to go down to Houston, Texas to protest an event down there, um, which led to some right wing accounts on the internet. Uh, local as well as national, start to post about it. Um, by this point, Protect Texas Kids had already been reported on by myself and others a few times for organizing events uh, where open fascists had showed up and made threats. And um, the first time that it had happened in Dallas, uh, the viral videos from that event that had been taken by right-wing people um, had made it to Tucker Carlson within a matter of like 24, or 48 hours. Um, meanwhile, the local newspaper in Dallas never even reported on the event. Um, so there was no time for anybody to really have the context of, you know, this wasn't um, a matter of, you know, concerned parents, quote unquote, saying that, this event was inappropriate it was actually just fascist threatening violence um and then trying to create a scene that could you know end up fueling the fire that they're trying to you know throw gas on and so uh once it gets promoted by you know these sort of these right-wing figures on the internet uh it starts to draw even more attention from counter protesters oftentimes, you know, anti fascists, because they know by now that once this call to action has been put out by an account um, that has been known for organizing right wing protests, that the wrong sort of elements going to show up. And we've seen reporting from across the nation where Proud Boys will literally storm into a library and, you know, make threats um, to parents with their children just because they don't like gay people. And so uh, once, you know, this sort of counter organizing has started, that draws even more attention from the people who like to say that anti-fascists are the boogeyman, which inevitably draws even more attention from people who are actual fascists who make it their entire life to, you know, go out and pick fights with anti-fascists and, you know, if these events are successful, what will happen is that the sort of regional and local right wing media people who know that they can turn these sorts of events into viral, you know, sort of short term fame or traction for their career, um, they will be able to get their video, which always focuses on some sort of sensationalized, you know, situation that will Fuel prejudice to, you know, sort of come up in people that already have those biases and, you know, want to share that on Twitter, but they won't ever reveal that, you know, this whole situation is being fueled by people who actually want to do violence to the people who are inside, you know, whatever building it is, whether it's a bar or a library, um, just because they don't, you know, respect who they are, don't appreciate who they are. Um, and, you know, often at times it does succeed because as I had mentioned in, you know, an earlier case, um, local media either doesn't report on it or doesn't report on it quickly enough. Um, and if they don't do that, then it's the perfect thing for, you know, Tucker Carlson to turn into outrage bait because he can control the narrative completely.
1: One of the things I see a lot of times, you know, like if you look at the way, you know, the media system operates with like kind of like local news channels, sort of kind of like the the front lines or often the first to report on something. They are so heavily focused on I wouldn't even say it's like a both sides narrative because it's not that simple, I would say. But it's like so, for instance, if they hear like the Proud Boys are going to go uh, protest a drag show. The way they kind of present it is that like, well, obviously there must be something wrong about this, you know, for the, for right. these people to go out and protest or suddenly there are two camps, you know, there are these people over here that do this. And then there are these people that are concerned about child trafficking. Like there's, there's no acknowledgement that like, look, these people are fascist, you know, one, but also like right. their grievances are manufactured and they're really using this, you know, as this way of pushing their politics. And also trying to play to people's prejudices or heartstrings or whatever, because, you know, why would you ever support, you know, pedophilia or, right. you know, somebody molesting a child or grooming a child, which of course is not what's happening with these things, which is why they're framing it in this position to begin with. Which, of course, is something that fascist movements have always done. It's like when Hitler would say, like, well, what are we going to do about the Jewish problem? And then suddenly you're having a conversation about the Jewish problem as right. opposed to saying, like, well, no, you're anti-Semitic, fascist. Off.
0: Christopher Rufo is the perfect example of this in the modern age where um he establishes a framing that is designed – to basically be adopted at face value by the media or it operates in such a fashion that it kind of creates tension where people who don't really understand what's going on feel the need to kind of compromise with part of it. Like you said, oh, there must be something wrong or, okay, well, but maybe they just shouldn't do that. So it doesn't give these people a reason to complain. Um, but in the process it, you're, you know, shifting the window into their direction, and it's it's you know, there's a few different flavors of it um, when it comes to if they do locally report on it, if if they locally report on it and they don't do it well, it may be because it's just shallow reporting. And they, you know, take that framing at face value and they quote someone talking about groomers or this, that or that, whatever. And then they don't really ever dig into who is this person? Why were they there? Who organized the event? Uh, do they have any sort of history? What do they say on the Internet? You know, basic stuff, because that's how, you know, Kelly Neider, who's the founder of Protect Texas Kids, became known as a self-described Christian fascist because she posted um, something on Twitter saying, you know, I'm a Christian fascist, basically, (laughs) and um, has never, you know, said I'm not a Christian fascist and Christian fascism is bad.
1: And a lot of these people are getting much better about branding themselves like as conservatives, as Trump supporters and a lot of, especially like local news people, I mean, not only they're going to, a lot of those reporters not going to do the work of investigating who these people are and they're just going to be like, oh, a white person in a, in a suit.
0: Or the other flavor of it is that they're like, oh, well, yeah, so there are Proud Boys here, but also there are Antifa people, ooh, um, which creates a false equivalence. And it is, it's absurd uh, because, you know, at face value, it's like, well, that's what um, causes an- anti-fascists to show up is the presence of fascists. And in Houston, there was a guy wearing just a, a swastika necklace openly, you know, saying slurs and doing some really fucked up stuff outside of a drag show. Um, and so after a certain point, you kind of have to say, huh, okay, well, maybe these people do have a reason for being here. And, you know, at that point, it's kind of both sides is um Uh, But it's also a failure, I think, just to do the basic reporting and at a structural level, it's, you know, because there's not a single newspaper or media outlet in Texas that has an extremism reporter.
1: Well, let's just back up to sort of the folks, uh, especially like on platforms like Twitter that help this stuff go viral. Because it's interesting, you know, when when an account like Libs of TikTok, which is, of course is huge, when they find something to target, you know, the people that respond to it, it's it's not even a fraction of their audience. It's like a very, very small amount. And also it's the fear that something will happen. Like if you look at like, so for instance, as we're recording this in a couple of days, there's going to be a protest outside of this bakery. I think it's like in a suburb of outside of Chicago. It's called Uprising Bakery. And mm-hmm. they're just, they're going to have like some sort of like drag event there. And it's the same thing. The Proud Boys are threatening to come out. I don't know if Libs of TikTok has tweeted about it or other people like that. I'm pretty sure they have. Um, but it's similar type situation, but just the threat that that might happen, or those people are talking about it, is enough to make some people go like, "Oh, we're just going to cancel this event." Or like I've heard right. of other things, like of certain pride events that were just called off because people don't even want to deal with the threat of potential violence. Frankly, I think
0: that's the that's the point. They want to run people out of public life. That's the point. The point is to you know, use the false argument that they make around children, protecting children, which it is it is designed to try to attack people's weaknesses when, you know, protecting children is something that everybody should want to do. Um, but it's used in bad faith to effectively run LGBTQ people out of public life. That's the idea they have a, basically operating under the theory that of contagion. <laughs> that if you know people are exposed to lgbtq people or how people exist um you know in a way that's different than whatever you know these hardline right wing people want their children to grow up around that um they they won't be that way or there's there's going to be no risk of them ever you know turning out that way which is just bogus because we know that we know that people don't become left handed by watching media where people have left handed, you know, writing tools and stuff. Like, that's not how it works.
1: And what's fascinating too is that so many of these players began as sort of this libertarian esque, like, you know, we're just here for free speech, man, and we just want our, we just want the best, you know, ideas to be heard. And now they're the loudest voices in the room calling not only for people to be carried away and, you know, killed by the state, but also to use the threat of violence to shut people up and, as you said, push these people out of public life, which the, the sickest thing about it is that this is happening in congruence with attacks from the state on certain communities attacking people's rights. So as the Republicans are pushing all this stuff down people's throats in the courts, You know, in the streets, the fascists are backing them up by doing this stuff, which I think is, you know, obviously by design.
0: Right. Well, it's, it's designed to create a wedge that will force, you know, sort of moderate type people to say, okay, well, yeah, maybe you should just go over there and not do that or basically give in, um when it comes to just fundamental rights of people allowing to live their lives and and be happy in public. Um, so I think, yeah, we, we just have to look at it for what it is and, you know, we have to stop, you know, taking so much of what is said about, you know, free speech or these principles that face value whenever, you know, their actions aren't consistent. Um, you know, gotcha and hypocr- hypocrisy stuff doesn't work when people don't actually really care about being consistent on principles that they don't care about. Um, a lot of people think that, you know, we'll be able to sort of win the day by showing that these people are hypocrites. Um, but I don't actually think they're hypocrites. It's just that they operate under a different set of values and principles that they are consistent on. It's just that. You know, those principles are basically, you know, we should have these rights and then the people that, you know, we don't approve of shouldn't. And if you look at it through that lens, the actions are pretty consistent. Um, You know, some other people may just be confused and, you know, not have a good grasp of what's going on here and have bias and prejudice that draws them to some of these things because the propaganda works. Um. You know, an example of someone who has, you know, recently uh, blown up in the right-wing media sphere that operates out of Texas is this guy named Alex Stein. He's been all over the place. Uh, he recently harassed Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez outside of Congress. If you saw that, and he's been on Tucker Carlson a number of times, and he got his big boost by just doing these really absurd things uh, at city council meetings. Um, which, you know, are filmed and then he would put them on the Internet and they would go viral uh, because people would share them without really knowing what he's about. Um, And he got boosted by Blaze Media early on. And then once he got picked up by Tucker Carlson, he's become, you know, so much more of a sort of media force. And just the other day, he was on Tucker Carlson on – I I don't know if actually he was on Tucker Tucker Carlson, but he was on Fox Nation – and, uh, he was, you know, promoting his show, his, his YouTube, uh, channel. And then he hosts Nick Fuentes of the America First movement on his show, uh, on his YouTube. So like these people are you know, operating under a lot of different channels and sort of trying to say, oh, we're comedians, Uh, you know, it's not political or we're just trying to show the hypocrisy of this, that or the other. But like they're really rubbing shoulders with some of the most extreme people you can think of. Um, And I wish I could say I know the answer to all of it is um, I, I don't think I do, but at least in terms of, you know, the sort of. Events that I've reported on where these people mobilize in person and show up in public life to intimidate others. What I can say is I've been heartened by the response here in Texas um, that communities have put forward against these fascists. Um, And they've done a pretty solid job of, you know, preventing them from disrupting these sorts of events um, and, you know, sort of getting what they want out of it at the end of the day.
1: Just in terms of of media, is there a way to fight back? Is there a way to subvert this? you know what can people do, especially for those of us that are you know covering stuff, writing, making news, making media about this um, you know what is to be done?
0: <laughs> great question, right um well, structurally, I think we need more reporters and journalists focused on extremism um, I think that's. Something that is happening steadily and maybe a little late and maybe a little slow, but it is happening um, in places like Texas. I would be heartened if a single place, uh, a single newsroom or outlet were to hire a single staff reporter to focus on what I would call an extremism beat, because uh, in my two ish years of doing this in Dallas, um I've seen a lot and I've been able to connect a lot of things together just by showing up and just by taking the time to do it. And I've been able to do it, uh, but it, I'm a freelancer and anybody who's a freelancer knows it's a hustle. Um, and I would I would imagine that we would have a better sort of understanding of what's really going on here and have a better sort of media response to it and and sort of short circuit this like, you know, outrage human centipede machine that operates uh so quickly if we had people who were better equipped to report on this stuff. And so if you're already doing this, uh I don't you know I don't know if I have a ton of tips for you other than, you know, just continue to make relationships in your local community with the sort of people and groups that might respond to this sort of stuff or might be interested in monitoring this sort of stuff anyway. Um because, you know, as, as an independent journalist, I do often rely on people, you know, sharing information with me or tips. Um, and so being aware and finding ways to track this stuff as it happens quickly is important. But then also making sure that you have the time to do deeper work too. Because it, it's, it's a challenge, um, to be able to rapidly respond to these sorts of events that can go so viral so quickly and you know be used in bad faith by the right-wing machine and then also simultaneously do the deep investigative work that you need to do to sort of you know understand okay well so why does this keep happening and you know how is this happening and at at different levels you know not just playing whack-a-mole but really looking at the landscape um and so, you know, that's that's a challenge, especially if you're not a staff writer or a staff reporter. Um but you know, I would say that's what needs to be done and taking it a lot more seriously, um, broadly speaking. And then, you know, if 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 this stuff isn't something that's familiar to you or if this isn't your focus, but you're you know kind of concerned about it now as of late, I would say, yeah, you know, try to have conversations with other people to get them to understand that. Extreme doesn't necessarily mean fringe or uh, infrequent or uncommon anymore, at least where I'm um, based. It, it, it sure seems like it's a lot more common and mainstream and regular. And it's not to say that we have you know hundreds and hundreds of proud boys showing up you know in the downtown at Dallas area, you know, doing damage or causing a civil war, but we're seeing a lot of mobilizations of a lot of different groups. More consistently, that it, it sure does seem like people are becoming emboldened in a way that, um, you know, I think has all, has, has a lot of historians that I talk to pretty concerned.
1: Well, let's talk about how people are responding. Um, there's been lots of mobilization, people have been showing up. I mean, there's been mass rallies on campus against, uh, some of these groups that we've been talking about. Yeah. People have been showing up in support and defense of, you know, drag events in the face of like the Proud Boys and stuff. So just talk about like what you're seeing on the ground.
0: Yeah, that's, um, I think that is what has been, you know, sort of hopeful or heartening about all of this is that, uh, in Pride month alone, you know, the month of June, we had so many of these instances all across the nation, but in particular we had a ton of them in Texas and, um we saw a mix of responses um you know we saw organized anti fascists of the type that you know might come to mind when you say anti fascists, you know people who are just showing up um you know they're kind of concealing their identities, but they're also there to just put their bodies in between the fascists that are there to you know and try to intimidate and harass and then uh the families that and the just the people that were attending these events um you had. You know, just straight up moms and dads and, you know, uh, community members that may not, I don't know if they would describe themselves as anti fascist, but they, they don't seem to like Proud Boys and, you know, far right people. And they showed up and they blocked the entrance of a library in, um, a town called McKinney north of Dallas, uh, so that the Proud Boys and the militia people who had shown up couldn't go inside and disrupt the event that was happening. It was just a story time event that was Pride Month themed. Um, so, you know, in, in almost all of these instances, um, there have been more anti-fascists and more sort of counter protesters against the people who are trying to stir up trouble. Um, than there have been, you know, these Christian fascists and proud boys, but there've been some instances where there's been sizable sort of crowds, um, you know, a few dozen right-wing extremists, um. Outside of these events and they have had more numbers and, you know, the police had to show up Um, most recently in Houston. There was a big mobilization, um, but the once again, the anti fascists had outnumbered, you know, it was like five to one or more. Um, So I think, you know, what it really shows me, at least, is that there are there are people who are paying attention, who are concerned about these things on the ground. They understand what's happening and they're responding to it in the ways that they can um and that they see fit and um, you know i think it is something that anyone can do and there's a variety of ways that they can do it um, and it does demonstrate to these fascists that you know there's a whole community of people who don't agree with them um, and you know there's some risk to that obviously because we I think we all understand that some of these groups have a tendency towards violence or they show up looking for a fight. Um, And I'm not suggesting that people should do that by any means. Uh, But, you know, at the end of the day, as we were discussing, a lot of these people are speaking in really violent terms and, um, you know, they're targeting those violent words and that, you know, really awful rhetoric at vulnerable communities And so um, the demonstration that, you know, those communities have allies and people are willing to put their bodies on the line, I I think it does something.
1: Yeah, totally. And I think what's interesting about this time right now, and kind of like what we're seeing across the country, like as the far right uh, targets, especially like a lot of pride events and stuff like that, is a lot of liberals and progressives, people that before – You wouldn't see as much at sort of more, I guess, confrontational demonstrations or the possibility that there might be some confrontation. Um, and it really seems like they're being brought into this wider anti-fascist, anti-racist, uh, coalition, which is, I think is great because for so long, a lot of those people were the, were the loudest voices in the room just saying, just ignore them, you know, let the police handle it where now I think a lot of people are living through that experience of like, Oh wow. The police are, are letting the proud boys come into the library. Oh, they're walking with the proud boys into the library. Oh, they're, they're fist bumping with the proud boys literally in the library talking, talking about killing us. You know, so they're, they're experiencing all that stuff. And then they're realizing like, well, actually we can, you know, organize ourselves and get these results and actually protect ourselves. And, continue to push forward what we want that's right i mean
0: in in dallas there's been a there was an armed march um uh, an armed pride march after some of these you know fascistic groups had come out to drag shows and other events and you know intimidated and harassed there was a a group that had organized uh, organized a number of people you know carrying long arms and other things because open carry is totally legal you can wear a pistol on your ho- uh, on your hip in texas without a license um for better and for worse and they uh you know basically were trying to demonstrate yeah we will defend ourselves um and you know they they used chants that were uh reminiscent of a prior group uh that had organized in the 90s and done similar things you know sort of in the spirit of the black panthers basically saying you know if the police aren't going to show up and and defend us then you know that that's up to us And, um, you know, I, I think we probably have a shared understanding of why that is, um, and one of the reasons why that happens, uh, and to kind of bring it back to something we were talking about earlier, you know, at at the John Birch Society chapter meeting, uh, that I recently attended, uh, one of the attendees was a constable, um, and, as a uh, historian, Michael Phillips, uh, who was based in North Texas and is an expert on right wing extremism, told me for the article, um, you know, it, it's got to be a factor in police violence without a question that so many people in police forces may take off their uniforms or even keep them on and then go meet with groups like the Birchers or three percenters or, you know, Oath Keepers or whomever and then share the attitude that, you know, Uh, The civil rights movements of our time are agents of some sinister forces uh, or communist agitation or just like whatever propaganda insert here that you want to say that would fit into that framework. Um, And so, yeah, I think people are kind of waking up to several things at the same time and then also realizing that um, they don't have to just sit around and watch these bad things happen on their phone. They can show up and, and be present.
1: To me, that's what's hopeful is that a lot of people are getting in the streets and getting involved. And I think the more that people do that, the safer that we'll all feel.
0: Well, in places like Texas, I I think there are a lot of people who are feeling very energized and activated because of all of the things that are happening. You know, some people fall into nihilism or despair, or, you know, they freeze because they're not sure what to do because it's also overwhelming. But I think a lot of people really are showing up and, you know, they want to do something. They are compelled. You can see that at, you know, the abortion protests. You can see that at, you know, the defense of these LGBT events. Um, But, you know, I think the challenge that I see of our time is that it's not that we just need people to try and go and do something. Um, We can't keep doing the same things that we've been doing. Um, so it's a matter of, you know, hopefully organizations continually, uh, channeling that and getting better at figuring out a way to mobilize people in ways that aren't, um, you know, just get out and vote.
1: I'm just curious, what is the impact of the Uvalde shooting having all this in terms of just like resonance in people's heads? Have you seen like a, a major shift in the way that people view police? is there just Ooh, a growing yeah. resentment uh how how big of a deal is this would you say within Texas and also just nationally if you have a sense of that
0: Uvalde is major i think it was a i don't i mean i don't i don't know it's hard i'm not going to predict the future but i think it it feels different just given how horrific it really was um and it definitely broke some people's perceptions of how the police operate or You know, the truthfulness of public statements from the police or whether they should, you know, take them at face value. Um, particularly in the media, uh, which, you know, if it didn't happen two years ago, I'm, you know, hopefully it's happened by now. Um, I think we can see in a number of indicators, there's been some major shifting, uh, of the ground underneath us in the past few months. Um, it's a complicated thing because, I mean, it just depends on who you talk to right now. Uh, it's kind of a bleak thing to say, but, um, you know, I've heard people say things along the lines of, yes, it's awful and, you know, gun regulation should be considered. Um, but also should we be banning AR-15s right now whenever, you know, this political violence is escalating and queer communities in places like Texas literally are under threat. Um, and that's a complicated issue because it really just cuts um through the sort of false dichotomy that's presented in our uh political system around the issue. Um but I mean it's 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 really just it's invigorated so much debate and attention and anger um that I mean, just you know, this is one indicator, but look at the polls for uh the gubernatorial race. Um Six months ago, I probably would have said the best thing that someone like Beto could do in Texas would be to raise a bunch of money and then hopefully use it to actually do some structural organizing for the future. Um, cause I didn't really think he could win. Now he's pretty f- close. And once again, I'm not a pollster. I'm, I'm not really much of a, you know, sort of horse race political person myself. Um, but it's changed things. Uh, what, whether that that will actually translate into, you know, the policy changing, that's another question because um just of how you know gerrymandered and uh minoritarian control oriented Texas is. Uh but I think a lot of people are, you know, sort of really animated and motivated by this. And uh we will see in the coming few months.
1: You're listening to It's Going Down, part of the Channel Zero Anarchist Podcast Network. Follow us online at itsgoingdown.org and on Twitter at IGD underscore news. If you like and appreciate this podcast, go to itsgoingdown.org slash shop and give us a one-time donation, sign up to donate monthly, or donate through Bitcoin. Again, that's itsgoingdown.org slash shop to support. And now, back to the show. I did actually want to ask you one question about arms at demonstrations, and I know this is, I mean, we've talked to people across the spectrum, people involved in groups like the John Brown Gun Club. I know there are some people that are maybe critical is not the right word, but pessimistic about the bringing out lots of firearms to demonstrations. I know some people are afraid that like that ratches up the potential of, you know, something like a shootout. I've also talked to folks that like were in Charlottesville that said like those people kept us from being beaten up, you know, just their presence. What's your feeling on the streets when there are dozens of armed anti fascists marching?
0: So I think it's a and it's a complicated question because there's a lot of things that matter when it comes down to it. Um I mean, you know, I think at a the most abstract level the proliferation of weapons uh in my view probably would increase the likelihood of some violence occurring but that's just a very abstract general statement that doesn't really help us too much when we're talking about these very particular or different uh circumstances uh when it comes to places like Texas and these instances um and or you know even Portland um I mean, I think it's ultimately a community choice if people feel that that would make them safer and feel safer. Um, And it's, it's sort of a community choice. And the organizers of the protests are, you know, sort of endorsing this or with it. And they're making people aware of this stuff, the reasoning behind it. If the people that are stepping up to do this are trained and are, you know, doing this seriously uh and taking the responsibility seriously um then you know perhaps it's the right thing to do in some circumstances um i i can tell you myself you know i i hasn't stopped me from reporting on things on the other hand i'm like you know i i know enough about how bullets work and you know i've i have a gun myself for self-defense um that you know, once bullets start flying, things can happen. Um, so there's there's always been an element of that um, at, a, at a number of events that I've reported on, whether it's because the police are there and they have weapons or some right-wing people are there and they have weapons. Um, I haven't seen it translate into any, um, you know, sort of actual violence here on the ground. But I can understand the concern that, um, and sort of the, the rationale of how, you know, they, people might look at this and say this is going to just ratchet things up. Um, but I would just, you know, say it, it ultimately un- it's, it's a circumstance by circumstance thing. Um, and, you know, it would be ideal if people felt safe um, to the point where they didn't feel this was necessary, but we don't live in an ideal world.
1: Where do you see things going from here? Uh, you know, before we started recording, you know, we were talking about like, are they just gonna, you know, kind of move on to the next thing, which is sort of how we've seen these things evolve. Like you mentioned that sort of post January 6th, we saw a shift, uh, towards a strategy around like going after CRT and then, you know, going to all these school board meetings, trying to embed themselves within fights over vaccine mandates and mass mandates and stuff like that. And now we're seeing this like obsession over, you know, going to pride events or anything related to drag. Uh, you know, is this going to continue for a while or are we going to see a shift soon? Like and how does that sort of impact, you know, what movements on the ground are going to do?
0: I think we're going to just have to keep our eyes open and a look out for what people like, you know, Christopher Rufo, um, are telegraphing to the entire freaking world. Um, you know, I think one of the c- clear directions this is going is just to continue to on public education. Uh, so much of what we've been dealing with, um, over the past two years has circled around educational issues um, and intersected with public education.
1: Just to interrupt real quick, I mean, which is a smart move for them because that's a heavily democratic force right there. And also that, I mean, let's be real, like, you know, teachers unions give a lot of money to Democrats. So there's a real push to to attack that because, you know, they, they get something out of it, especially for the Republican Party. Right.
0: And so Christopher Rufo just yesterday says, you know, scoop Los Angeles Unified School District encourages kindergartners to experiment with non-binary pronouns, trains teachers to subvert, quote, mainstream white cis heteropatriarchy society and promotes sexual identities such as trans, pansexual, two spirit and genderqueer. And so, you know, they're just doubling down on, um, you know, sort of broadly speaking, inclusivity in education, um, the teaching of american oppression basically historically um and in texas we have one of the single largest most active movements to dismantle public education uh, and you know put in its place privately funded stuff and these people are eager to do this for a variety of reasons um not only is it something that you know as you said it's heavily sort of democratizing and democratic and in as an institution itself um and you know sort of encourages people to intermix to a certain extent um in terms of class uh although you know segregation de facto segregation has changed that over a long period of time um as that sort of stuff starts to wither away you know you can see that in texas in north texas there's um you know massively changing demographics and shrinking, you know, white majorities, uh, there's this real fear on, oh, you know, our public schools in the suburbs are no longer the havens that they once were. And so now tearing apart the Department of Education, tearing apart, you know, public school writ large is obviously the next step because it would allow them to promote, you know, their ideology Directly, and it, I mean, it, it just feeds into classism and racism and all these other things that, uh, education has been a central force in helping dismantle. Um, so that's where I would say we're probably gonna just see more of, and we're gonna, they're gonna pull out all the stops, um, and they're gonna try and, you know, wedge every issue into it because children apparently are just a political pawn, um, when it comes to this stuff for some of these people. And, you know, they don't actually really care about the welfare of children writ large, as we as we know. Otherwise, you know, they would do something about it.
1: Is there any other thing you wanted to touch on, perhaps, or? You know, um
0: no, I mean, I think uh just keep an eye out in your community <laughs> for similar sort of stuff. I think, um, you know, we see a localization of what works in places like texas all across the state or all across the united states i should say um so you know keep an eye out it it might be coming to your town and you know there are things that you can do about it so that's that's all i would say to wrap up
1: yeah and encourage people you know check out it's going down i mean there's a lot of report backs and stuff of what people are doing to push back and the good thing is, is there's a lot of examples of different strategies that people can use, but uh, definitely I would encourage people to you know not let the bullies win and to get organized and you just want to tell people where they can follow your work?
0: Yeah, so um you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, I post all my articles that I publish on there um at Steve Anzetti um i got a patreon and you know a few other things that are linked from there uh you can find all my work on Muckrack, and uh i also am the publisher of protean magazine as i mentioned it's a leftist literary publication uh we're a non we pay all of our contributors as much as we can and uh we publish a lot of great essays and poetry occasionally some fiction some great original art uh, i think it's worth a look and it's a bit more optimistic um and you know interesting than just you know sort of the fascist stuff that we've been talking about today so uh, if you're you know maybe looking for something um you know deep and interesting to read or something that might make you feel something go check that out and you can find that on twitter as well uh and that's at proteanmag.com um so thanks for having me on i really appreciate it
1: this has been the it's going down podcast check it'sgoingdown.org going org for daily updates columns action reports and news Go to what's going down.org slash shop to support us and follow us on all social media platforms. IGD, your daily resource for insurgent proletarian life.